0: Follow as I read, we're going to be looking today at verses 4 through 6. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another this is love that we walk according to his commandments this is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it we began second timothy or excuse me second john last week and we saw that john introduces himself as the elder he's an older man now but he's also as it were, the pastor and the shepherd of these to whom he is writing. He's writing probably from Ephesus. He's writing this little epistle to them. He identifies the ones that he's writing to. He refers to her as the elect lady and her children. Now, this may have been a literal woman and her children, as I mentioned last week, but there is also the possibility and a good chance that This elect lady is just a figurative way of describing the church to whom he is writing. And the children are the members of that church. And I kind of feel that the weight of, uh, as I've looked at this, that that seems to be what John is saying. But either way, what is recorded here is the most important thing. Today we're looking at these verses in which there are three key words. And for you children, I didn't leave any, any blanks in the notes today for you to fill in. So I'll give you a homework assignment. How many times does John use the word truth and the word love and the word walk in these verses, in verses 1 to 6? So after the service, you can tell me that. But those are the three things that we want to focus upon today today. And these are important to John, as we've already seen in 1 John, truth and love and walking, walking in the truth. So we begin with John's great rejoicing after he has introduced himself and given this salutation to them, grace and mercy and peace be with you. This comes from God, the father, and it comes through the son of the father. And we get to verse 4 and Paul begins and he says, I rejoice greatly. His heart is overflowing as he has sat down to write this epistle to them. And he's rejoicing and the reason is given here that I have found some of your children walking in truth. This is what has caused John to rejoice. I have found some of your children walking in truth. And probably what has happened is that some of these who are from this church have come to the city where Paul is. Many believe that, or excuse me, John, John is in the city of Ephesus. And some of these brothers and sisters made their way to Ephesus. And in some way, John says, I found. Them. I found these children, and I found them walking according to the truth. The word found is a word that sometimes has the idea of pursuing something to find it. Sometimes it's used to find something just by stumbling across it. It just kind of comes across our path, and we find it. I was reading Bryce's Facebook page this past week, and it's been one year, since he stumbled across Anna. He was going to church down in Louisville, and Anna was there as well. They were both visiting that day, and uh, they just happened to be sitting one another before the service was over. He had her phone number, and he already has her now as his wife. And I think this is probably what happened in this situation, that John just somehow stumbled across these Believers that were from this church or the children of this elect lady. And as he has evidently spent some time with them, because he says, I have found them in the walking in the truth. It's a, a present tense. So he has spent some time with them. He has been able to observe their lives in this little bit of time that he has been with them And he's impressed with this fact that I have found that they are walking in truth. They are walking in the truth. And John is just grateful. Notice how he says this, I rejoiced greatly. The word rejoice um, is in a passive voice here. And the idea is that I was caused to rejoice. It was a, a spontaneous reaction in the heart of John as he got to know these individuals and to spend some time with them. It was just natural that out of his heart flowed this rejoicing. And not just rejoicing, but rejoicing greatly. He rejoiced greatly as he observed their lives, as he watched them. And you know, sometimes we have that maybe as parents, we can see maybe our children have done something and it's been very selfless and a very loving thing to do or we've seen someone else do that and our hearts just rejoice in that. We rejoice and we're glad in that and here's is, here is John and he is rejoicing in this truth. I want to look closer at this idea of walking He's rejoicing because they are walking in truth. We find this biblical metaphor is used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, especially by Jesus and Paul and John and Peter. And it uses this idea of walking. Now, literally, this sometimes is translated for walking, that Jesus walked from this city to that city. But it's used often in the New Testament and, again, in the Scriptures to speak about, in a figurative way, the way in which one is conducting their life, the way in which one is living. It's a reference to how one lives, how one regulates their life, their conduct, one's whole manner of life and how one lives. It's kind of the video of someone's life. And all of our video is telling us something, telling us and others uh, about what's important to us and the direction that we are going in our life. And this is true for every one of us. Every one of us is walking in a certain direction, in a certain course of life that is revealing something about what's in our heart, what motivates us, what directs us, what our life is all about. And Jesus talked about this, didn't he, in Matthew 7 in his Sermon on the Mount when he said there are two roads. There is a broad road that leads to destruction. And there is a narrow road that leads to life. And so every one of us is walking On one of those roads, there are only two of them, and every one of us are walking on one or the other, and this is the direction, the course of one's life, and so what is important to us, what we value, what we esteem is going to be seen in the course of our life and the direction in which we are living, and so we we sang about that this morning in Psalm 1. Where we are told there, blessed is a man who does not walk. Here it's stated negatively. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he walks in that. Unlike the ungodly that, that walk among sinners, that's the way they walk. We are seeking, by God's grace, for a Christian to walk in the truth of God's word, not like the sinful world around us. Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord, stand in the way or stand at the crossroads and see and ask for the old paths, the ancient paths. This is not what they were doing in the days of Jeremiah. The nation has declined its spiritually dark And there is the call that is given to return to the old paths, to the ancient paths. They were not walking in them. They were not walking in the ways of their fathers. Return to them and walk in them, and then you will find rest for your souls. Sadly, he goes on to say, but they said, we will not walk in it. Get to the New Testament. We hear Paul in Romans 6 here in the context, I think of at least baptism is envisioned here. That when we are baptized, that's the first command that is given to a believer who's come to faith in Christ, who's repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to be baptized, and there, as, as Paul says, is that, that that we have, in a sense, we have died with Christ, and in a sense, we have been buried with Christ. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. But, he says, but we have also been raised up together with Christ to walk in newness of life. That's pictured, isn't it, in baptism when we are baptized. I'm giving testimony to that, that I've been raised up to live differently. I'm not just a believer. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm seeking to walk in new and different ways. Romans 8, 4, as Paul there describes the Christian, he is one who does not walk. He does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If you live, if you walk according to the flesh, you will die. You will die eternally. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, let us walk properly. Let the direction of our life be in the right direction. Walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh. In regards to its lust, live differently. Live differently. Walk differently than the world that is around you. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that we once lived, we once walked according to the course of this world. That's the way we used to live, gratifying our sinful lusts. But God, God made us alive together with Christ. A new creation has come about. God has saved us and made us alive together with Christ. He's regenerated us and has imparted new life into, our, into us. And now we are to walk differently. So in verse 10, he says, we, we are his workmanship. He has crafted us and made us. He is the potter, we are the clay, and he's created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is all a result of the miracle of the grace of regeneration, of God's saving grace that we sang about this morning. Brian read for us from Ephesians 4. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. How do the Gentiles walk? Well, he goes on to say they walk in the futility of their mind. In the futility of their mind. Their minds are darkened. But we are we have light in the Lord. And we are called to walk, not according to this former way, but we're to put off that old man and we are to walk in a new way. We're to put on this new man. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You Remember in 1 John John, as he was going through there, he said in 1 John 2, 6, if we say that we abide in him, that is, if we say we abide in Christ, then we ought to walk even as he walked, walk even as Jesus walked. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't walk according to how we see. We don't walk according to our own way of thinking, but we walk by faith, trusting in God and his word and the direction he has given us to go. So there is a spiritual reality as we think of this. As John is writing to this people, he's, he's, he's showing us, and, and not just them but us, that truth in us has a bearing on how we are going to walk, how we are going to live. Last week, we looked at verse 2 here. This is an amazing statement that John makes. He says, the truth which abides in us, and it will be in us forever. We looked at this further on Wednesday night. If you're a believer, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God dwells in you, it abides in you, and it will remain there forever, and that word will have an influence. It will have an effect in the hearts of those in which this word abides and dwells by God's grace You remember Jesus said in John 8 to the Pharisees who boasted that they were sons of Abraham. He said, you're seeking to kill me. You're seeking to kill me. And the reason is because my word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. And he goes on to say about Satan in verse 44 that, He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. But for the believer, the word of God, the truth of God abides in us. Christ abides in us and remains in us and will remain in us forever. And therefore, John is able to say here that this truth will have a bearing on how we live, on how we walk. And it will identify those who are children of God because they are walking according to the truth. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Have you known that in your life? the word of God abiding in you that convicts you of sin, the motives of your heart causes you to repent of sin, to walk in righteousness. Do you know that? Well, when the truth lives in us by God's grace, it is going to have a bearing on how we walk and how we live. So as we think about this, just this verse here, this is certainly a cause for rejoicing, is it not? When we, like John, have the occasion to see brothers and sisters walking in the truth, it ought to cause our hearts as well to rejoice greatly when we see this. This is the fingerprints of God's grace upon their life. This is an evidence of new life that is in them. And this is, this is the sovereign work of God himself that has brought this about. And we are caused to rejoice not only for their benefit for, but for God's glory, that God did this. This is an amazing work of his grace. And we give praise and we give glory and honor to him as we see others walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And Paul says that for a believer that we have the very aroma of Christ, that ought to be something that is coming out of our life. The aroma of Christ, that we smell the sweet aroma of Christ when we watch a believer walking in the truth. We're thankful to, I trust, see that among ourselves We've been watching some of our own here walking a hard path, difficult, and seeing them trusting in the Lord and seeking to walk in his truth. And our hearts are blessed. Our hearts give thanks and glory and honor to God. A second thing I think it's important for us to ask ourselves as we are here today in church. It's important to ask ourselves, how am I walking. How am I walking? What is my life saying? Am I one who's on this broad road just going my own way, doing my own thing? Or am I one who's walking on the narrow road, the way of righteousness, the way of truth, seeking to be faithful to Christ, Because walking in the truth is something that can be seen. It's identifiable. It will be witnessed by others. I read from 1 Thessalonians 1 last week. Paul says, I know that God has chosen you because I see your love, your labor of love, your work. And I see the fingerprints of God's grace upon your life. And I can see That you are walking in the truth. God has done a work in you. You might ask yourself. If John the apostle spent the week with me. Was able to observe my life. Would he at the end of that week say. Like he says here. I rejoice. Because I see you walking in the truth. Now, it's not walking perfectly. We understand that. But that is the direction. That is the way that by God's grace, I'm seeking to live my life. And I hope that we could say, yes, John, I trust you could say that about me. And maybe you're here today and you're on that broad road. This is an opportunity. This is a day of Grace. We would exhort you, I would exhort you, I would beseech you to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He's a Savior who's mighty and able to save and that you might look to him. Well, secondly, this morning, John's urgent pleading. He's talked about them walking in the truth as we have received commandment from the Father. And now verse 5, and I plead with you. Now there is this urgent pleading that is coming on behalf of John. As he's written this letter and probably what has happened is these who John had come across in his in his city probably has now written a letter and now he's sending this letter back with them. And verse 13, the, the children of your elect sister greet you. It may be again a reference to a church, the church that John's a part of. He says now this elect sister of yours, they greet you. And so they are coming back with this letter. And now, Paul, or excuse me, John wants to say, I plead with you, lady. Here he's pleading. It's something that really is coming from his heart. He's not using his apostolic trump card here, and he's pleading from his heart. As I've seen these members of your church, I've been so encouraged. And I just want to encourage you also. I want to encourage you also that you would. Love one another. Notice this plead here. Lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you. I'm not writing something new to you. We saw this in 1 John. But that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. I want you to just be reminded of this important thing for the people of God, that you love one another. Now, I don't think he's suggesting that they weren't doing this. He's just wanting to encourage them more. Paul did this to the Philippian believers in Philippians 1.9. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more. It's abounding, but I want to see it abound still more and more. And I think John's doing that. He's writing and to this church, and he's saying, I, I want your love to abound. So here is a call to love. And you've known this from the very beginning of your Christian experience this has been the rule of your life, that you are to love one another. So I'm not writing you something new that you don't know about. but I'm writing to you this truth that we are to love one another. And we need to see that this truth is driven by love, that truth is driven by love. He has been talking about these who have been walking in truth. Now he commands uh, them. He speaks to them about loving one another. Verse 6, this is love. Notice that we walk according to his commandments. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Love is something that is defined by the word of God, by the commandments that he has given to us. Back in the 60s, there was a song by the Beatles. All you need is love. Love is all you need. In our generation, we see signs and we see banners and bumper stickers. Love is love. Love is love. We decide what love is. And it really boils down to our own lustful desires usually. But as we come to the word of God, we see there's a connection between truth and love. We've seen that in First John and we see it again here. That these always go together. That it is God who... Gives us the direction in which love is going to express itself. How we are to love one another. We could go to Ephesians 4 and finish out the chapter that Brian was reading there. And it goes on to speak about what love does and the commandments of Christ and what we are to do in terms of loving one another. Not speaking any unwholesome word. Not being angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And Let all bitterness and wrath be put away from you and malice, but love one another. So this love is something that is directed by God. It is a biblical love is always married to biblical truth. They go together and what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. F.F. Bruce said, where truth and love coexist harmoniously, we have a well-balanced character. Warren Wearsby, I heard this, uh, he said this, love without truth is hypocrisy and truth without love is brutality. We've known that, haven't we? Somebody clobbering us with truth, but we really don't sense that it is done in love. That can become very brutal. So John says, keep these things together, they go together, truth and love. Love one another by doing what God has called us to do, what Christ has called us to do in keeping his commandments. It's plural. Whatever Christ has called us to do in our love for one another, let us be those who are very careful to do that. I thank God, as Paul would say to the Philippians, I thank God that love abounds, but may it still abound even more in our life, in our church, in our relationships with one another. Father, we thank you for your word.